This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about the money, boys! Here we go again. General Patton has said that wars are fought with weapons, but they are won by men. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we talk about film series one movie at a time. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, James Hamrick. What's up, dude? Feeling patriotic? Extra patriotic today. Uh, man, this, uh, this movie comes just right on the heels of the 4th of July, so it's, it's got me all in the mood for independence day right after this you know try to get in some of the the american classics yeah i just uh, watched actually forrest gump for the uh, 25th anniversary in theaters yesterday so i've had like a extra dose of just like pure americana kind of coursing through my veins right now so this week uh, we are rapidly moving towards the close of our journey through the marvel cinematic universe's phase one and today we will be exploring captain america the first avenger a period piece which is a fairly rare occurrence for the mcu uh, before we get on talking about that, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review and also subscribe. That would just be very helpful to us and we would very much appreciate it. And while you're at it, uh, you can like us over on Facebook uh, to keep up with all the latest episodes and also leave feedback that might, might end up on the show. And uh, speaking of that feedback, I asked on Facebook and Twitter what our listeners thought of this film. Uh, Jeff said, I enjoy it even though Thor is the actual first Avenger. <laughs> well, technically in 1944, or I believe is where this takes place, Thor was still a space jerk, you know, starting wars and being a bully and a general nuisance. So, no, he wasn't. There you go. Samuel said, great movie. Second most underrated film in the whole MCU. Might still be in my top five. Yeah, I think his, his, his uh, opinion for the, uh, the first, the, for the most underrated film in the MCU is The Incredible Hulk, which is correct. Mm. Another Samuel said, one out of three movies that came out in 2011 that made me fall in love with film. This one will always hold a special place in my heart. I love everything about it. And it's funny he talks about 2011 because 2011 was also – or 2010 and 2011 were also the years that really got me into film or where I was really starting to pay attention to kind of the world of film and the movies coming out and online discourse and all that. So it was kind of a special year for me too. Nice. Uh, Shane said, good, not great. The Rocketeer is a much better superhero origin story by Joe Johnston. That's something that I've actually really wanted to check out because I've heard that I would enjoy The Rocketeer. I saw it on TV a few years back. I remember enjoying it. I didn't love it. I Actually, I think it, it probably ranks right about where, how I think about this film. <laughs> Spoilers. And on Twitter, Jeremy Barramy at Jay and Lincoln said, "I think Haley Atwell and Peggy Carter are among are the best are the best things about the MCU." Um, I don't know about best, but uh, they are certainly delightful. And moving to the behind the scenes journey that this film had to get to the big screen, um, the interesting thing about Captain America is that. This character is by far the oldest uh, among the those who have appeared, at least in uh, solo films in the MCU. The other main characters of all the MCU films, with the exception of the current Guardians of the Galaxy lineup, were created uh, between 1962 and 67, and most of them were made in this mad rush uh, by Stanley and Jack Kirby in 1962 and 63, um, as the Marvel label was being born. But Cap was actually created back in 1941 by writer Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. It was published by Timely Comics, the company that eventually became Marvel 20 years later. And right off the bat, uh, the character was created to be anti-Nazi propaganda. Um, And this was in 1941, before we even joined the war. And uh, I remember, I think one of the the publishers or writers of the original comics talking about how the uh, the anti-war movement in 
America at the time had a lot of propaganda, had a lot of, uh, you know, stuff going for it. And they thought, you know, we might as well have our own spokesperson for why we believe this war is worth fighting. And so that's why the character was created. The first issue of Captain America number one, which was published in March of 1941, that features that uh, now iconic image of Cap punching Hitler, which is homage so lovingly in this movie. Um, It was, you know, it was still fairly several months before uh, Pearl Harbor in 1940, uh, which would have been December of 1941. So, yeah. A few months before that, the character was very successful during World War II. Uh, but after the war, his popularity fa- popularity faded, and the comic was canceled in 1954. Uh, then, in 1963, as Stanley and Jack Kirby were you know building up the MCU, they introduced the they reintroduced the character in Avengers number four, where in modern times the Avengers discover Cap's body encased in ice, and that's how you get the whole man out of time aspect. So along with appearing in many animated shows, there was a 1944 black and white serial starring the character. Uh, in 1979, there were two live action TV movies. And then in 1990, uh, there was that horrendous Captain America film that got dumped onto home video. So as far as the journey for this particular film, in 1997, producers Mark Gordon and Gary Levinson wanted to make a Captain America film with Larry Wilson and Leslie Boehm writing uh, in 2000. Marvel teamed up with Artisan Entertainment, uh, who ended up making the uh, Thomas Jane Punisher film, to try and get a Cap movie made with them. Um, however, there was a lawsuit between Cap creator Joe Simon and Marvel over the ownership of the character, and that lasted up until 2003, so that kind of killed that film. Then in 2005, when Marvel was laying the groundwork for their cinematic universe, uh, Captain America was one of the movies they wanted to start with. Initially, Avi Arad said they wanted the film to take place half as a period piece in World War II, and the second half would happen in modern times. He said, The biggest opportunity with Captain America is a man out of time, coming back today, looking at our world through the eyes of someone who thought the, who thought the perfect world was small town in the United States. 60 years go by, who are we today, and are we better? John Favreau actually had been talking with Arad about the possibility of doing a Captain America film ever since they had worked together on Daredevil, uh, but then he was offered uh, Iron Man instead. Also, uh, Le- uh, Louis Leterrier was supposedly interested in making this film after he had did uh, The Incredible Hulk, but that didn't happen. In 2006, Road to to Perdition writer David Self was hired to write the script for this movie. Then development hit a snag with the uh, 2007 and 2008 writer's strike in Hollywood. Uh, But in 2008, Marvel was able to broker a deal with the Writers Guild of America that would allow them to to continue production on their MCU films. Later in 2008, Joe Johnson from films like Jumanji and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was hired to direct the uh, then-titled the first Avenger, Captain America. Um, Feige cited period pieces like The Rocketeer and October Sky as big reasons for getting Johnson. Uh, both very good films, although I, I love October Sky. That was a big uh, film in my childhood in our family. Um, and also The uh, Rocketeer is a you know, almost forgotten 90s comic book movie. You know, one of the few good ones before you know, the, uh, the, boom, the boom in the early 2000s. Johnson then brought on writers Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Uh, they would have been hot off of uh, the first two Narnia films at this point. Uh, then in, uh, in 2010, it was reported that Joss Whedon had done some rewrites for the film as part of his deal with uh, writing and directing The Avengers. He said, I just got to make some character connections. The structure of the thing was really tight and I loved it, but there were a couple of opportunities to find his voice a little bit and some of the other characters and to make the connections so that you understood exactly why he wanted to be who he wanted to be and progressing the whole script to flush it out a little bit. So when it came time to, to cast the film, obviously the main character you got to get right is Captain America. Uh, and it's heavily publicized now, but John Krasinski uh, originally auditioned for the role, and he even went so far as you know testing in the suit and everything. And 
he tells a funny story where you know he was in the suit you know he's fairly confident thinking it was going well and he said he saw chris hemsworth walk by, like chris hemsworth was there in his thor suit and he saw what he looked like and he's <laughs> like at that moment i came to terms with the fact that i'm not gonna be in this i would i would not hate a john krasinski captain i wouldn't either i think there's an alternate universe out there where he got the part and uh you know it's it, he ends up becoming just as lovable yeah, if you've seen like Jack Ryan or uh, 13 Hours, you know, yeah. can do it. Uh, you know, there's kind of rumblings about him and uh, Emily Blunt maybe doing Mr. and Mrs. Fantastic, which is perfect. So I'm pretty sure that's fan casting. I, I, I've heard it's, about that. It's like, fan casting ago. for sure, but I would not be surprised if if something comes about, like if it ends up having some sort of credibility. Obviously, that didn't end up working out, though. Uh, so they were approaching Chris Evans, who had already obviously done Johnny Storm for uh, the two Fantastic Four films. Um, and he actually denied it three times. Uh, they they were convinced that he was going to be perfect for the film, so they kept pursuing him. Uh, there's a quote from him where he said, At the time, I remember telling a buddy of mine, If the movie bombs, I'm effed. If the movie hits, I'm effed. I was just scared. I realized my whole decision-making process was fear-based, and you never want to make a decision out of fear. I can't believe I was almost too chicken to play Captain America. Uh, he said the reason he agreed to play it was, he said, I think Marvel is doing a lot of good things right now, and it's a fun character. I think the story of Steve Rogers is great. He's a great guy. Even if it were just a script about anybody, I would probably want to do it, so it wasn't necessarily about the comic itself. Uh, and we all know what happened after he got it. Now he's one of the most famous actors in Hollywood and one of the most beloved film characters, so I guess it worked out. Um, for the role of General Chester Phillips, Tommy Lee Jones was cast in the role. And interviews with Tommy Lee Jones are some of the greatest things ever. He could not care less about interview the process, the glitz of Hollywood. And I think he just likes to act, and anything else surrounding that, just he doesn't care about. And he he kind of brings that cynicism to some of his roles as well. There's a quote when asked about the role. Uh, and about his character specifically, he said, It's the one you've seen in a thousand movies. The gruff, skeptical officer overseeing a team of talented, slightly sarcastic, especially ta- talented soldiers. And that's all he really said about it. Which is, yeah, the role he's played in a thousand movies, and I hope he plays it in a thousand more movies. For the villain, uh, Red Skull slash Johann Schmidt, Hugo Weaving was cast in the role. He said of the character... Uh, he based his accent primarily on Werner Herzog and Klaus Maria Brandauer. Okay, I've never made the Herzog connection, but that actually sort of makes sense now. <laughs> kind of makes sense now, yeah. So at the time, he seemed to speak, you know, fairly positively about the the movie and the experience. So it seems over the years, he's really distanced himself. I think he, along with intentionally like, though, we're just kind I, of he hasn't I, reached out. Um, I've heard, and I think even seen interviews that. He has, he maybe looks down upon things like this. Like, there was a an article where I think they showed some some uh, quotes about why he's distanced himself from things like Transformers and Marvel and things. It's so because maybe it's kind of like a uh, uh, Rick a Mickey Rourke thing where he's like I've watched the behind the scenes footage. He seems to be having a lot of fun on set. Yeah, maybe it's just he didn't care for. He thought the. In the final product, the film was the character was kind of fun or something. That wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he with his you know kind of prestigious theater background and and other films he's been in, um, 
I mean, I personally love this movie, but uh, but yeah, he's he definitely seems to have tried to distance himself from these kinds of, of films. Uh, for the love interest Peggy Carter, uh, who's actually way more than just a love interest, she's. I mean, I I'm not with him in saying the best thing in the MCU, but I absolutely love Peggy Carter. Um, Haley Atwell was hired, and and she said she she wanted to do the character. Uh, her quote was, "I likened her character to that famous Ginger Rogers quote: She can do anything and everything a Captain America can do, but backwards and in high heels. She's an English soldier soldier through and through. Although she always looks fabulous, she might stand there with a machine gun shooting Nazis, but she's obviously gone to the loo beforehand and applied a bit of lipstick. She doesn't need to be rescued. That's exciting to me. Her strength. I think she's quite stubborn, a slightly frustrated woman who struggles with being a woman in that time." Yeah, I I mean I really love the way she portrayed. If you watch interviews with her, she's she's there's a lot of crossover between her and Peggy Carter herself. Just this really funny British kind of wit that really makes the character work. Uh, for James Buchanan Barnes or Bucky, Sebastian Stan was uh was hired for it, and he actually initially signed on for a fi- uh, for five or six films. Uh, he said he didn't know anything about the comic books or the characters. Uh, and the way he prepared for it was actually by watching a lot of uh, World War II documentaries and films. Uh, and he said he found Band of Brothers very helpful. Um, Interesting. Always a reason to watch Band of Brothers. Uh, for the role of Howard Stark, Dominic Cooper was cast. Uh, he said he was happy to have been cast in a role that had already been played. Or he said, it's an opportunity where you can see his future because I know the guy becomes my son. Or I know the guy who becomes my son, and I see myself as an older version in Iron Man 2, which is great for an actor to have those tools. All I know of him is that he's a fantastic engineer and inventor and a very slick Howard Hughes type uh, that's into aviation and women. So yeah, he based a lot of the, the quirks of his character based on um, on the previous performance. Neil McDonough was uh, was cast as Dum Dum Dugan, also the greatest name ever. He's a Band of Brothers alumni. Yeah. And uh, just a, a funny tidbit about him, he's, he actually grew the trademark mustache and he would just walk around wearing the famous bowler hat. So that was his way of getting into character. For Dr. Erskine, uh, Stanley Tucci was hired. <laughs> and Tucci has said very plainly that what drew him to the role was he wanted to do a German accent. And it's always something he'd wanted to be able to do as an I actor. I love his accent so much <laughs> in this movie. I love him so much in this movie. And yeah, any line with his accent is just freaking amazing and perfect. To round out the uh, the Howling Commandos, Kenneth Choi appears as Jim Morita, a Japanese-American uh, member of the, the squad. He's from Fresno, Ace. <laughs> I, I wish there was more of that character because I feel like he could have been great. Um, he actually said he was the last actor to audition for that role, um, and he actually read lines from Saving Private Ryan. Uh, he said, I did a lot of World War II research, especially in regards to the Nazi soldiers or Japanese-American soldiers. I wanted to get as much true, real-life information for a guy like Jim Morita fighting in World War II. I felt that if I had built a factual basis for film, I could then go and permit the character to exist in the Marvel Universe, which allows for a lot of imaginative circumstances. The story of the Japanese-American soldiers during World War II is really interesting. I I am not a big historian. I'm not even really sure what what that looked like. Toby Jones was cast as Arnim Zola. Uh, He was a biochemist for the Nazi party. Uh, Also, maybe a bit underused, but I... I love Zola so much. I love Toby Jones in the role. His his little cowering character behind all of Hugo Weaving's like scene chewing is is great. There's also quite a bit of like cameos in the film. Obviously, Samuel Jackson reprises his role as Nick Fury for the the ending scene. 
Also, a, a pre-Hobbit Richard Armitage uh, portrays mm-hmm. Heinz Kruger. Uh, I had to look that name up. The the guy who assassinates Dr. Erskine. Uh, Lex Shrapnel portrays Gilmore Hodge, uh, who is a candidate for the super soldier program, the, uh, the jerk. Um, Michael Brandon plays uh, Brandt, uh, who oddly enough was originally, a, they originally approached Jeff Goldblum to portray him. He's the, he's the character who, who offers Steve Rogers the, the role of the kind of PR guy with all of the, I, I can totally see yeah. Jeff Goldblum in yeah. that role. It would have, it would have been great. I'm glad it didn't happen because the Grandmaster is one of the greatest things ever. And I love him, but he would have been great in that role as well. Natalie Dormer has a random seductress scene uh, where she plays Lorraine, uh, my least favorite kind of trope ever, the it's not what you think, but (laughs) she's in it. Um, And Jenna Coleman appears as Connie. I'm sure you are familiar with her as a a Doctor Who fan. Uh, Also, uh, Laura Haddock, who actually plays Meredith Quill in Guardians of the Galaxy, has a very brief appearance as someone trying to get an autograph. And James Gunn has kind of like jokingly said that that's really Peter Quill's grandmother. So we've got a bit of a crossover there. You know, take that as Peter Parker and Iron Man 2, which is cool in my book. Um, <laughs> and then lastly, of course, we have Stan Lee giving a cameo appearance as a general. So filming began in uh, June of 2010 under the working title of Frostbite, which I kind of like. Um, it was shot in England, actually. They did a day of testing 3D cameras, uh, but Joe Johnson described the process as a nightmare, so they opted for a 3D post-conversion instead. Um, cinematographer Shelley Johnson, uh, who had shot Johnst- Johnston's previous three films, uh, served as the DP. Uh, for 1940s New York City, they actually shot in various locations uh, in and around London and Manchester to get the right period look. The final shot was actually seen, shot on location in Times Square in New York City, which has to be a nightmare. Uh, so a lot of the, the memorable bits of post-production just revolve around some of the effects of the film. Uh, most notably, obviously, the making the jacked Chris Evans look like he's 90 pounds. Um, the film actually features almost 1,600 visual effects shot. Uh, and as someone who's like, who watches the behind the scenes for for a lot of movies and, and knows like what what that numbers look like for things like Lord of the Rings like this is kind of a crazy number. Uh, director Joe Johnson actually has a, a quote where he talks about the different major techniques to to make him look uh, skinny in the film. He said most of the shots were done by an LA company called Lola that specializes in digital plastic surgery. The technique involves shrinking Chris in all dimensions. We shot each Skinny Steve scene in at least four times. Once like a normal scene with Chris and his fellow actors in the scene. Once with Chris alone in front of a green screen so his element could be reduced digitally. Again with everyone in the scene but with Chris absent so that the shrunken Steve could be reinserted into the scene. And finally with the body double mimicking Chris's actions in case the second technique were required. When Chris had to interact with other characters in the scene, we had to either lower Chris or raise the other actors on apple boxes or elevated walkways to make Skinny Steve shorter in comparison. For close-ups, Chris's fellow actors had to look at marks on his chin that represented where his eyes would be after the shrinking process, and Chris had to look at marks on the top of the actor's head to represent their eyes. The second technique involved grafting Chris's head onto the body double. Um, This technique was mostly used when Chris was sitting or lying down or when a minimum of physical acting was required. 
It's a, it's a, it's a pretty seamless effect. Yeah. Like every now and then you kind of see maybe, like, but I'm, I'm not even convinced. Like if you didn't know Chris Evans was jacked and ripped like that, you would never Exactly. Notice. You know, like at the time, especially, you know, since Chris Evans wasn't really a big, like he was, he had been in some roles and people knew him, but he wasn't a huge star at that point. And so, I mean, as, you know, young me sitting watching that film, I never would have known. Um, the other big, uh, big effects is, of course, his shield. Uh, they actually had four different kinds of, of material they used to make the shield. There's metal, fiberglass, rubber. Well, and not a material, but uh, just CG. Uh, and what they would actually do is Chris Evans would get really used to the weight of it and the way he would throw it. He would practice throwing it and what that feels like and catching it and everything. So much so that he could just recall the motion on muscle memory. And so a lot of actual filming, he would just mime it. He would have nothing in his hands and he wouldn't be catching anything, but he would have the memory of it down so well. And then they added in the shield in post. And it looks, the way he throws shields looks so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Only he could throw, I mean, we've all kind of like thrown frisbees like him at this point. It just, it looks perfect. For the music... The score was composed by Alan Silvestri, who would also compose uh, the Avengers score. It also features uh, the original song Star Spangled Man, which I didn't know this before uh, do- looking up this information. It's composed by Alan Menken uh, and lyrics by David Zippel. The The actual score itself was recorded at Air Studios in London. I really, really like the score personally. And ironically enough, it's one of the most reused themes. You know, Marvel's often criticized for just you know kind of giving a new theme for every film and not having any sort of consistency um but this this has actually been reused several times throughout the uh throughout the series well, part of that is probably thanks to alan Silvestri scoring four of them <laughs> well that's true uh it's but it's reused uh as we see steve or loki transform into steve and thor the dark world <laughs> um we hear it again in Winter Soldier, Age of Ultron as well, and uh, even back in Endgame. It's used quite a bit in Endgame, actually, like three different moments, and it almost made me cry. So so when it came to releasing the film, uh, it had its world premiere uh, on July 19th, 2011 at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood. Um, it was screened, like the full film was screened at San Diego Comic-Con International on July 21st, 2011. Uh, and was finally released commercially on July 22nd, uh, 2011. Uh, and it, it wasn't even released by this title everywhere. It was given the option to just be referred to as the first Avenger overseas. I think the only countries that chose the alternative uh, was Russia, South Korea, and Ukraine. <laughs> of course, Russia. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go, of course. Which is also, it's sort of, you know, the original title was... Uh, the first Avenger, Captain America. It was switched, and that's that's primarily how it's known. But yeah, there were there were places where it was released simply as the first Avenger. All right. So, do you actually remember your first time seeing this movie, James? And what has your relationship uh, with it been like over the years? Definitely. Uh, I think w- so. We had kind of taken a like three day vacation in uh, Fort Worth, which isn't even super far from where we live, but it was right at Six Flags, and we all had season passes, so. We spent all day, every day, just going to Six Flags. But then one evening, we decided to go out and see Captain America because my older brother recommended it. He watched it and loved it. And so me and my mom and sisters and maybe a cousin or something, we all went out and watched it. And we all completely loved it. It's my mom still. It's her favorite uh, of the MCU. And I just remember being super impressed that, you know, we can tell one of these stories that it feels so 
linked to the larger story, but still at its core also just being like this kind of hyper-realized period piece um, and not, not feeling awkward or jarring. Uh, and I, I really love the character of Steve. Uh, I thought the shield was awesome. And I remember I was sold personally on it the very first poster I saw. And because you think of the comic book character in, in the suit and he's got the, the little ears that stick out or the little the, <laughs> the eagle wings that stick out on the side of his head the and scales. kind of like the scale looking thing. Yeah. I was like, there's there's just no way they're going to translate this. And that poster, which I think is often used as the box, the box art of just him standing, looking down, holding the shield below his belt. I saw that poster. and I was like, they did it. Like, this looks completely functional as like an actual uniform. It looks good. It's got all the belts and the like the little satchels and everything. And it's still very clearly Captain America. So I, I thought it was one of the coolest superhero suits I had seen yet. And so I was excited just by the fact that they got the look down and it didn't look silly. Um, so yeah, I, I went out and watched it and I really loved it and I've, I've maintained that love since. Um, it's it's definitely one that I have very fond memories of. Um, yeah, so I actually had a weird experience with this movie. Uh, I remember, this is the first MCU film that I remember really being aware of as the release was coming up. I saw. I loved the trailers and really wanted to see it. Uh, but our family was going through this, this phase where uh, movies were kind of banned, so I didn't actually end up seeing it. And so I ended up seeing the Avengers before I actually went back and saw this movie. So that was my first experience of Chris Evans as Captain America, and he was actually my favorite character in that movie. So I really loved him. And so I, then I went back and uh, watched this movie, and honestly, I was really disappointed. Yeah, I think part of it was, you know, having already experienced Captain America, I didn't have that, you know, that that real freshness about the character. I also was like really big into action. I still am, but for then it was like for me, it was all about the action in the MCU films. And I think the action was fairly very was very underwhelming. I didn't really care about the story. So like I came away from this film the first time fairly disappointed. Um over the years seeing it again here and there, I did come to appreciate just how well it uh you know it got the character and you're just introducing this very stoic you know moral paragon of virtue uh, in a way that didn't feel cheesy that didn't feel you know cloying or cynical you know i've i've come to really respect that i still i still don't love this film nearly as much as many people but i do enjoy many things about it so just moving into like i think one of the big selling points for this film that i quite enjoy is the the overall tone that joe johnson brought where he he has a gift for period pieces, you know, October Sky, uh, The Rocketeer, he even did, he even did Hidalgo, uh, which I don't remember all that well. But like just this film, it's shot kind of like a 1940s film. It has that you know very warm kind of golden color grading that just makes it feel very wholesome. The uh, you know the, the general the cinematography is fairly simple. It's not you know not nothing elaborate. It never really takes you out of that time period. He ha- he has a way of just capturing pure americana which is like this really idealized version you know norman rockwell kind of thing this this is america you know this is what it was this is what we were this is where we came from and it just fits in so perfectly with such a wholesome character that he just he just presents it in such a matter of fact this, this is just what the world is like it's this very you know happy 1940s look and it's just it just makes the whole film feel so authentic and just nice. I mean, you know, not 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 in the same way. Like we talked about similar where um 
where Thor just feels very nice to watch. This is kind of similar, not the same, but more in that kind of Americana way. It's just, it's just a pleasant movie to watch. Yeah, I was going to bring up Thor as well. I think one of the benefits of releasing this and Thor so closely and like leading into the Avengers is is to, to get you excited about the variety, um, but also just having a level of confidence in characters outside of just Tony Stark. Um, because I thought the same thing about the way this film presents itself is very similar to just in, in, in how Branagh went about it, in which we're just going to present the movie convinced that the movie itself is good enough you know not not feeling like we have to wink at the audience or we have to like try to try to sell everything tongue-in-cheek it's just we're going to present this period piece this hyper stylized kind of portrayal of the 40s and we're not going to care we're going to present it as if it's really cool and by presenting it if it's cool it kind of makes it cool uh so yeah i i love just the overall style and and visual flair of the film i i mean i personally i think this production design is like up there with you know thor and and some of the best uh, of the mcu in terms of the way it looks seeing the old school 40s stark expo is awesome with like the original like propulsion can of thing at the bottom of the car and everything and and seeing all the the glass cases of the old school superhero uniforms and and everything it, it just it feels really, really cool. You know, you look at what sci-fi looked like in the 50s or the 40s and the 50s and stuff. And and it's like this not not straight revisionist history, but they're they're really like pushing the style and technology uh, in a way that didn't exist back there. But in a way that still kind of feels cohesive with with this old school 40s world. Um and you even bring that, you know, with the music, with that just, it's like you distill all the classic World War II movie themes into just what is the most pure version of this <laughs> macho kind of heroic vibe. It's the the Captain America theme is literally like the screensaver on every like Medal of Honor or like the main menu theme music on every uh, Medal of Honor game. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the production design this, in this movie is so good like not just you know just the 40s aesthetic but also it's showing a lot of you know quote unquote highly advanced tech but it never breaks that 40s tone it's like that it's not steampunk but very much that you know disneyland world of tomorrow kind of look where it's just it's 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 all it's all futuristic it's all super sci-fi but it's still it feels like a 40s vision of the future schmidt's car (laughs) awesome yeah the tank and, like his little the, like three-story tank and and his little whatever helicopter missile kind of thing he gets in and rides mm-hmm. off it and yeah all the uh, just all the guns just the factories and the the the, the location the uh, scene where the set where captain america is transformed into captain america uh, it's just it all just looks so perfectly in tune with this aesthetic I think I'll save some of my criticisms for uh, Johnson's uh, direction later. Um, let's just move into you know, the character of Captain America. I think just the the one thing this film had to get right, and I think the one thing that everyone agrees, it just knocked out of the park. And like where even people who don't really like this film or criticize it, they all everyone just says you know it, it got this right. You know Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, so good. I think so much of that is starting with the character. As this little guy, you know, who, you know, who desperately wants to serve, he, you know, he doesn't like bullies, he stands up to them. And he also he has this heart and courage to where, you know, he's in an alley getting beat up and he just keeps standing up. And I think, you know, Johnson makes a great 
use of that the iconography where he he picks up the trash can lead shield you know that mm. that iconic line of, i can do this all day oh so and like just yeah he's he's already everything that this guy needs to be as this puny little guy who keeps getting beat up in that alley right there and behind that diner into that parking lot like that's he already is that character and so and also i, I like that, that that's kind of the foundation of so much even his relationship with peggy carter which we'll get to later is that even as the little man it's it's not about you know the heroics or the ability. It's just about that he is the good man. As Erskine says, you know, the weak man knows the value of strength, kind of thing. Yeah, I I love Steve Rogers so much. I think he epitomizes just everything heroes are supposed to be. Um, it, it's so weird. Like this movie is so refreshing to me, even today. Where I. I love like the grizzled hero, the anti-hero stuff, you know, like I'm there with everybody else who just, I loved Logan. I, I loved when the Batman movies get really dark and stuff, but it seems like there's just been this whole idea that, that presenting these edgier heroes is somehow like a new and fresh. It's like, yeah, Oh, you may like Superman, but you know, Wolverine's the coolest to me. And it's like, okay, like that's kind of become par for the course now. And now it's, it's the just the good for the sake of being good kind of heroes like Clark Kent and and Steve Rogers that feel that that people you know present as as archaic now and really feel archaic. But and to be fair, it's so rarely done. It's so hard to do. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Where it, it seems like you know people people would argue like, oh, this may be your favorite kind of hero, but but I prefer these edgy versions. And I'm like, well, well they're trying to make everybody edgy now, you know? And, <laughs> and so watching watching him and his character, it feels like a throwback in a, in a really needed way. Uh, I I absolutely value characters like him uh, the exact, the same way I would any other character. And, and I think his his kind of heroism is, is really needed. Yeah, it's... And what what is so astonishing, looking forward, you're know, having seen the entirety of Captain America's arc, is that they kept that. You know, they they gave him some incredible conflicts and journeys, but th- this thing that Joe Johnson and Marcus and McFeely set up in this firm was ne- in this film was never betrayed unlike what happened to thor but, but like they, they, they we're, were gonna talk so much about thor before actually getting to these films but e- like even like even as the you giving these incredibly difficult conflicts in like civil war and winter soldier like, like really break him down to the core of who he is they never lost this sense of goodness and integrity like 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 i've heard people criticize you know he has no arc like that's true like it, it, the thing with Captain America is not about him changing or growing. It's about him trying not to change in an ever-changing world. That that's the eternal conflict. And like you can have internal conflicts, and or you can have external conflicts. And, and his conflict is is more external, trying to you know maintain his integrity in a world that you know that values it less and less. And all of that is just based into how beautifully done it was here. Yeah, that's a, that was the next thing I was going to talk about. It's just like how difficult it has to be to present this character who doesn't really have the the conventional arc and yeah i I see that as as a an insult and a critique all the time and i don't think it's i think i think that's only a critique if you hold to these very like tight-fisted kind of dogmatic views on on what makes a character great but i find what they do with him absolutely just as compelling as all of these amazing arcs that other characters go on where 
you know, it's we see it where it's able to kind of of thrive in this this you know period piece with with World War Two and a, where you know we, we're seeing we're seeing a movie that presents everything in so, so black and white where you know like the good guy he jumps on the grenade he says like his character thrives here so well and I love that they preserve it where you can test that against you know just the way we've we've advanced or you know maybe not advanced uh, in our you know political morality and things like that but but just talking solely here i i think even without having to juxtapose his very black and white view of the world with a modern setting it still comes across as as meaningful and and not boring or or cheap you know um because instead of you know just uh, juxtaposing that with with a a modern political climate and and just a, a modern world we have this this desire to to act and to help mixed with not mixed with but like he, he's having to discern where his his desire to act is for for good and where it's just he just wants to do things you know he finally has he finally has the ability and you know maybe he's not selfishly but you know looking inward in terms of of why he's wanting to act i i think they find ways of of keeping this very black and white moral compass interesting even in this period piece and they did a great thing by by not making him that kind of smiling uh i i, I don't want to i don't i love christopher reeve as superman like he's a it's a beautiful performance but it's it's not that thing where he's just kind of smiling and posing there's actually a lot of kind of angst and discomfort about it. You know, he wants to serve, but he, he's not, they don't just do that kind of grinning idiot thing where he's just kind of all, you know, all shucks. Like there's a lot of pain to who he is and, and what he is at that stage of his life. In, in, even after he becomes Captain America, there's still the, even the struggle of where he, they just want him to use him to sell war bonds and he's a good man. So, and he wants to help. So he's going to do that because that's what he, that's what he can do right now. But the whole thing is, you know, he, he wants to fight. He wants to serve. And there's just so many obstacles in his way of serving that you know it it, it give it, it it gives that conflict you need where he doesn't have to just you know be that perfect figure who's just like who's you know got everything under control right from the start. Yeah, and and even though you know like you know I've talked a lot about how something that makes him interesting later on is trying to maintain that moral integrity in the modern era, but I mean even though this is very like stylized version of the 40s and a very clean version you know we're not seeing band of brothers action with dismemberment and Although this is a surprising amount of blood spurts for MCU there, film. It is. I it kind of makes me want to go back to this this more where we're freer to be violent. Although we get some violence later on, you know, and end game definitely has its moments. Um but but even still like they still don't completely shy away from just the toughness of war, you know, like after the serum, uh, and he, you know, he's Captain America and everything. You've got that scene of, of him complaining about lacking the ability to get drunk. You know, he's, he's lost his best friend and he can't be expected to just completely be this poster boy for what, for the perfect soldier. And yet kind of ironically enough, I guess you can, because he literally can't get drunk. He can't, not be sober-minded mm-hmm. um he's not just that guy like the kind of the character you were describing earlier just the the very the grinning like yes sir no sir kind of kind of character that loki mocks him as being later on in the dark world um 
but he's he's there for his reason. Like whenever Erskine talks about why he wants, and he's like, I I don't want to kill anybody, but I, I don't like love that reason. line so much. It's, that line right there. I, I like think about that line in Infinity War. You know, we don't want to kill you, but we will. Yeah, like it's it's everything that he is. Yeah, and and so they they find a way of keeping him this kind of character without making him goofy, without without compromising the actual actions he has to do because he is still a soldier. You know, he's going out there, he's got a gun, he's killing people, but he's still. I don't know. It's not this like gruff, grizzled character. It's not this dorky kind of uh, cheesy, grinning character. It's it's a it's just perfect. Yeah, it's a weirdly well balanced character that it ends up being everything he needs to be. And they treat him like they treat the movie, where they present him not in a way where it's like like oh man, check out this guy. Like how crazy in the forties, what we thought was good and bad and all this. They're like no, this is how he this how it was this is who he is and it's cool we're going to present it like it's cool and you will think that it's cool there is a little bit of like playful ribbing of the early designs you know making like the classic captain america design from the comics <laughs> and also like, very similar to what they had in the, the 40s serial that is the <laughs> war bonds kind of slightly goofy exaggerated costume they stick him in and like i love they, they just play up his discomfort that with that where you know, he has to read his notes off the <laughs> shield or just how uncomfortable he is with women when like Natalie Dormer comes on. I was like, yo, I don't think all of them are married. <laughs> it's just like totally you know, uncomfortable at all of that. Where he's just, he's just a normal guy. Yeah. And, and man, just spe- that montage is amazing. I, I oh, love so it. Good. If there's anything, Johnson, I, I love a good stylized montage. And, and when you got that music playing, it's, it's so great. Mm, I, I, you just you know, see him getting more and more confident, kind of getting into the rhythm and the whole punching Hitler <laughs> over a hundred times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's just perfection. Uh and then the smash cut from that montage directly to the, the actual cold, you know, grim reality of the warfront where nobody's impressed with him. That's one of my favorite scene transitions in any of these movies. Uh because we we see him give the line and then the camera pulls back and it's just slowly hovering over the soldier and you hear the cough, and then after a few seconds of looking at it, we've got the, the title card that comes up with where they're at and everything in the year. It's it's such a perfect transition. Yeah. Um couple you know, other characters that are important. Stop Stanley Tucci as Dr. Erskine. It's it's a tiny little it's very similar to uh Sean Tube as um as what's his Yinsen from the other uh, Iron Man. Like it's a very similar character, but he's also he's just so good. So you want to kill Nazis? Yeah, that, that everything, every line, the way he says, you know, you know, this is why you are chosen because a strong man who has known power all his life may lose respect for that power, but the weak man knows the value of strength and knows compassion. Like he's just spouting off these beautiful little bits of wisdom, and it never feels cheesy. He's also just he's he's really funny, you know. Yeah, procedures tomorrow, no fluids. Like I guess we'll drink it after. No. I don't have precision. That's one of my favorite comedic lines in this movie. (laughs) Drunk it after, I drink it now. Yeah, he's just so he's just so lovable. And he 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 went too soon. He he even dies pointing at Chris Steve Rogers' heart. It's oh it's so good. Uh and that's the thing. I love that's what I love about these these origin stories, you know, like they they stick to this kind of formula where like you've got that guy who helps shape them into who they're meant to be. And you know they're going to go too soon, but when you cast the right guy and you give them the right quirks, 
it's just a way, you know, 20 movies later, you give them these little things that make them memorable. And, and his performance is so memorable. Yeah. Or, or in th- this case, not even shaping him, just, just recognizing yeah. what was needed. And you're seeing through, you know, this, that, that guy's a bully, but this person, the weak man, you know, it's all, all of that is just so good. And, and I love his character, you know, when taken with uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character, like the banter between the two is so great. My favorite, one of my favorite moments is whenever uh, he throws the grenade and Steve jumps on, he's, like, he's still skinny. Just their, their <laughs> arguments back and forth. Look at that. He's making me cry. <laughs> Tommy Lee, Jones uh, like, per- Tommy Lee Jones has chemistry with every single actor in this group. I think he has, he can he can create chemistry with anybody, like anybody in the world. He's so good at it, like just playing the, this. Character. The continuation of our opening quote, where he said, "We are going to win this war because we have the best men, and because they're going to get better, much better." <laughs> well, if this is the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Yeah, <laughs> or. Uh, Maybe my favorite line from him is that if you have something to say right now, it would be the perfect time to keep it to yourself. <laughs> you and I are going to have a conversation later that you won't See, enjoy. I mean, honestly, we could every single line from him is. I'm is not kissing you. Absolutely perfect. And like, I think I think I've done the math. Like, this film would be about thirty percent worse if it wasn't <laughs> for Tommy Lee Jones oh, and every scene. I keep I keep thinking what my favorite, away. but then again, I love the line, and I'm going to keep myself from just quoting his character the whole podcast. Uh, no, keep doing you it. Know, keep doing the it. villains are every time they die, you know, cut off two heads or cut off one head, two more will grow. Actually, because he's like, let's go find two more. He's just, he, every single one is perfect. And he's always this, that's right. He, he's just playing Tommy Lee Jones. But I guess whenever you nailed that kind of persona so perfectly, a movie can only hope to like capture that for itself. And, and yeah, he makes it better. Yeah. Like little things he does when they're watching the, 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 uh, the war footage and you see uh cap you know captain has the uh has peggy's face on his compass and he just kind of looks at looks sideways at her and grins or uh, at the end uh you know as captain saying you know he's he's got to put it down he just kind of like oh. signals to the other guys so they kind of just slowly leave the room i i didn't <laughs> notice that until the most recent or my viewing just before infinity war where she's on it and he you can see a look on his on his face, like he knows exactly what's about to happen, and he just he points at the other guy, and then points at the door, and they leave. Like when it comes down to it, he's he's just a, he's a good guy. Yeah, I love him. And uh, speaking of Peggy Carter, um, you know, I what the thing I like about this character is you know the the cliche in so much of this you know hashtag strong female characters. He's just you know. You know, are they tough? Are they no nonsense? Are they all business like? And most importantly, can they can they injure men? Check, great, they're great. And you know, she has all that. But what I like about Haley Atwell's performance is that I feel that there's so much more. There's a character underneath. You know, she is. You know, she's trying. You're know, trying to do the right thing. And and when she sees Steve Rogers, I love that their connection is sparked long before he ever. It, you know, is transformed into this, you know, this paragon of masculinity. Even when he's the little guy, you see those little seeds where she kind of just like, you know, she you know, she obviously works surrounded by men. She probably sees the worst of us, but you know, just see this guy who embodies that kind of honor. You 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 could tell it really stands out to her and impresses her, and she's probably one one of the people lobbying for him as well. You know, as well as uh, Erskine. That that line when they're they're in the car. And he's he's just talking about when he has the line, you know, just waiting for the right partner. That look she gives him, like 
like you said, she she's you know she's constantly brushing shoulders with these like generals and with conversations on on battle plans and things. Like she's seen how brutal and gritty things can get, and and the fact that she's taken back by just the the black and white kind nature of Steve. I love that that she doesn't scoff at it, but she's just it, she's taken by it. Mm. And I love that like she's kind of like trying to be there for him and kind of looking after him as they're going into the procedure. Like she would not uh, our guy looks at her like Agent Carter, don't you think you'd be more comfortable up in the booth? Like try like try to gently usher her out because she she wants to kind of hang around to, you know to look after him. <laughs> just the, the kind of like where she almost like reaches out and touches his chest, <laughs> like distractedly trying to reach for the shirt. Like just put this on, cover that up. It's it's too sexy. Yeah. It, it's so you know we talk about the uh, Tony and Pepper's relationship and it's this this relationship is so different but in my opinion equally perfect i just i love the sweetness of it and the fact that like like you said she's she's able to be such a strong character with her own personality her own um you know growth and understanding him and there's there's a lot to her um that makes you know she she still has aspects of where you know we're getting like annoyed with kind of being put down like with the jokes she would get from uh, the other soldiers. Although I love she always has a comeback for them. That's not like those dumb cheesy eye roll comebacks, but like she actually puts them in their place. And you're like, I see my grandmother has more spirit than you. God rest her soul. Uh, <laughs> but despite being like the strong person who's constantly having to like feel like she has to prove herself. Uh, which is an idea explored later on in her show, which is very underrated and a great show and people should check out. Um, we still get that just that old school, very sweet, innocent kind of love story with with her and Steve. You know, that the the climax of, of their their emotional journey together is this dance that never happened. Like, how, just, how sweet and perfect is that? And we talked about with Iron Man, we, we liked how the, 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 the romance plays itself out over long term. And the same here, like it, it never truly culminates in this film. You know, they have the kiss, but it's, it's instantly ended. And, you know, the, you talk about the, the trope of, you know, it's not what you think. It's, it's kind of silly. We don't need that. We don't necessarily need that conflict. But I do like just the way it does play out slowly. You know, they're not instantly throwing each other, you know, throwing themselves into each other's arms. It, you know, it does kind of just slowly play out across the film. Very chaste and nice and 1940s-ish. <laughs> And it and it makes sense too, you know, because you know she was, what she was taken by him, or what what caused her to be to just really notice who he is, uh, is him as a person. And so the the first hint you'd get of of him kind of succumbing to to temptation and just like living the life that he could live now that he is who he is, you know, there's there's a reason she would become so upset. I I just. I, I always hate that every single time. <laughs> Although it does lead to uh, one of my favorite lines from uh, how you know, Dominic Cooper is hard talking. Like, Vondu is just bread and cheese, my friend. Like, really? <laughs> I didn't think, no, should you, pal? The moment you think you know what's going on inside a woman's head is the moment your goose is well and truly cooked. <laughs> uh, speaking of Howard Stark, I, I think he does, like, he's not, I wish he was in the movie more, but I think he does a lot with his little bits where he does, he does feel like the kind of the proto Tony Stark. He's got the cool sunglasses and. He's just he's you know he's he's got that swagger about him in a more proper 1940 sense. And what's so funny to me is, isn't it, it retroactively makes the the kind of resentment Tony has towards his own father all the more ironic because they're just they're the same person in a lot of ways. 
Um, mm-hmm. and it, uh, speaking of which, I wonder, I wonder if this was part of what Joss Whedon had input on. Because, you know, in that aspect of Tony being jealous of his father's admiration for Steve Rogers, Captain America, oh, yeah. is present in the Avengers. So I wonder if this is part of his input. That's true. That very well could be. Yeah, just, what I you know, Dominic Cooper doesn't look like a oh, I forget his name, the uh, the actor who John Slattery. Yeah, John Slattery. But he looks like Robert Downey Jr. But yeah, exactly. he looks just like him. So I was like, well, you know, at least we checked one of the boxes. Um, and I love seeing him at the Stark Expo. You know, the way he he's got the the typical like beautiful lady up there in the dress showing off the car, and he he's that perfect showman. You know, he is 1940s Tony Stark, where it's it's like. You are the genius, but you're also this, the very same guy who sells the stuff you make. You know, you know how to present mm-hmm. yourself. You've got all the swag and charm you would need, and, uh, and he's he's got you. Also, you understand. You know, speaking of of the Avengers and stuff, he does it does a good job of setting up why he he would be so taken by him. And I love that last. You know, where where he's he's looking. They find the Tesseract, but he you know he keeps searching. Um, yeah, it's just. His his relationship with Steve, there's not a lot of scenes between them, but I think it grows in a way where you can kind of fill in the pieces and understand why there's such a, a mutual respect. Yeah, <laughs> when uh, he blows up the, uh, the the hydro device, like write that down. <laughs> so uh, now I think I want to get into some of my issues with this film. I think I think it's the overall story. I think this film is like 100% perfect up until. Cap saves everyone from the uh, from from the Hydra base, where he goes and saves all his friends, and they form the uh, the Howling Commandos. I think up until there is you know it's very it's a very clear progression. You know he's the little guy he wants to serve. He gets his chance, but no, Ursula's killed. He has to go on the the festival run for a while, and now and then you know he finally breaks out of line. He goes and proves himself and saves everyone. He has his triumphant return. And then after that, I feel like the film just kind of loses its way. We have the Howling Commandos montage, which is cool and all. And I don't know why it's a montage because it's some of the coolest stuff in the movie. But then after, there's like, they feel that there's so little conflict after that. You know, he's become Captain America. It's all just punching random faceless Hydra guys. And the, the everything's just done in montage. And, you know, he's cutting to Red Skull's face. We are losing. It's just, it's, <laughs> there's just, there's no energy to it anymore it just feels like the film has lost any sense of direction and i think that kind of goes throughout the, re- the third act i think a pro- part of the problem is th- there's no real conflict between captain america and the red skull i like hugo weaving is fantastic as the character but i think the character is so deeply uninteresting because there's nothing there's no philosophical or thematic challenge coming from the character he's just the evil guy who wants the world and that's it. And he doesn't offer any, he offers absolutely nothing by the way of, you know, a thematic challenge to Cap as a character. Like, I, there are moments where he talks, you know, he, he kind of challenges, like, you are this, you know, Herculean creature. You are, why are you serving the humans? Like, he does, he says that a couple of times, but that never even registers. I feel like, I wish there was, there was more of him, you know, you know, dealing with Captain America, you know, you are more than them. You are by, by right should be a god. Like there are those lines there, but it, as I said, it never registers. But I think even more importantly, there's nothing emotional between the two of them. Um, and I think some of that could have fixed that is if Bucky, if Red Skull had killed Bucky, I think that would have fixed quite a bit. You know, you would because you would have that entire revenge aspect going. You know, he's going to avenge his friend. Instead, 
the entire climax is just he's going after a character that we and there's a conflict that we just don't care about. But if he had been on the one on the train who killed Bucky, I think it would have given a much stronger emotional through line in that third act, which just feels very the whole third act just feels very perfunctory. Like we have to have an action climax and oh no, there's bombs and we're going to New York. That's you know, I do love the the final five minutes of that climax are perfect, but pretty much everything from after he walks back into camp with all his friends and you know, let's hear it for Captain America after that too, where he's, you know, flying the plane down for a crash landing is just fine to me. I don't really care about any of it. I feel like just the film just doesn't have much emotion or any of at all there. So, so I like this movie, maybe a, a, you know, a good bit more than you do, but I think I'll, I'll probably end up agreeing with a lot of your criticisms. I would extend um, the amount of time before I think it starts to lose its way. Um, I I love the montage. I, I love that it is a montage to me. It, it's like it's like if you take this hyper stylized kind of World War II aesthetic. I I like it a lot, but that like that is the moment where I become aware that this film has no direction. But the thing is, I I think that if if it found something else after that, it would oh, yeah. it wouldn't it be a sense. problem. And so to me, I it it's not a problem to me because I'm not gonna blame it for for a problem that does exist later on. Like I still the moment that I start caring less is is after um, after B- Bucky's death and the, the interrogation with a uh, with Zola. That interrogation is kind of Which I hate that cut. They should have cut from Bucky's death to the to Captain America drinking. Because like all the shock of his death is completely evaporated by cutting to this interrogation scene and then cutting to the grieving scene. It's a it's a weird choice. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever thought too much about it. But, I only thought about this last time. But for for me, it's like I, I love the montage. I I like the the way I like the progression of it. It feels right in my opinion. Like going on the first mission, rescuing them, getting just this awesome. It's it's everything that this movie kind of is of just like taking the reality and and especially you know like what American films have presented as the reality of World War II, hyper stylizing it, exaggerating it. We've got the team all together. We've got this awesome montage, and then we go from that montage to like their first actual mission we get to be on. Uh, I have some problems with like just the choreography of that that action scene. Um, some really really obvious green screen. Yeah, like, there's some jumping off the tank. There's some it's weird so stuff. Bad. Well, let's see. I, I, I don't even mind that. I love how ridiculous and over the top it looks. But like the train sequence, that's. Uh, I, I love going from the initial, the rescue scene into the montage into the first real mission where we're on them, start to finish, or where we're with them, start to finish. I think the actual like the visuals of them like zip lining onto the train looks super cool. Um, but it's it's after Bucky's death that that's whenever it starts to lose me. I, I still like it a good bit after he rescues Bucky because I, I like a lot of the stuff of, you know, Bucky yeah, realizing... I, I should take that back. It is, it, I do love the whole Sudia montage and gathering the team together. I think it, it's the start of the montage that loses me. Okay, yeah. And I, I, I also just, you know, Bucky feeling like he's... Um, I'm invisible. I'm turning into you. Yeah, like, there's still... like I'm still completely invested and completely engaged 
it is after for for me personally it's not until after his death that i start to notice like wait a second what are we now what are we doing and, and since we're talking about bucky this is an interesting thing like i know for a lot of people the character of bucky just doesn't work from here and going forward into like winter soldier and civil war um personally i love him. i think sebastian stead is fantastic he's he's really understated he, he underplays everything but i i think there's a lot of just kind of just like stoic emotion underneath his performance you know, you know just the, the love he has for his friend you know when he's the one protecting them and just where he goes and beats up the guy in the alley it's so it's awesome or you know, you're about to be the last uh the last eligible man in new york and <laughs> i just think that their comebacks is, is like classic male body you know how can i you're taking all this to be with you you're a punk jerk <laughs> just they're just two bros and it's great um well for the flip side there's also an enormous like cult following behind him as well i think in order i i love what they have here but i do also i i, I want more i think the film needs a little more and i think for, you know, for the rest of the audience there should have been a little bit more to establish how important of a relationship this was you know going for because it has so much impact further down the mcu and I, I and normally I wouldn't say you, know, I, you can't use the future as an accusation of the past, but in this case they really knew what they were setting up. Like literally having him holding Cap's shield right before he dies and having him fall. Like they were they were pointing towards the Winter Soldier in this film. So I kind of have I kind of I think I think it is a fair criticism to say they didn't set up the future properly. Um, I think we should have seen a bit of the, of them together before the 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 tension that was created by the war, like. The moment we meet them both, there's already there's kind of a cloud over their relationship because, you know, Bucky is going. He's serving in the 107th, which is the 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 uh, the battalion the, or the, the the military group that Cap wanted to serve in. In so like you could tell there's a tension between the two, where you know that that you know Bucky is getting what Cap always dreamed wanted. So the, the, you know, maybe some jealousy you know whatever or and you know bucky worrying about leaving him alone like there's the there's a tension there and so i feel like we should have fe- seen that relationship as it originally was before you know find before meeting them on their last day together because i think they, they played the, there's a history and a sense of friendship they played all really well but then they're separate for like another 40 minutes and then they're only together for like 15 minutes in like but that, still that's only like three scenes before he dies um, and then the scenes together are great. You know, like, are you ready to follow Captain America into the jaws of death? You know, hell no. That little kid from Brooklyn who was too dumb to run for a fight. I'm following him. Like, there's there's great stuff there. But I think feel like we should have gotten a bit more. Um, I, don't know, I, I kind of like... One, I love his introduction, saving him in the alley, in the suit, oh, yeah. all, you know, all dressed up already. Um, I kind of like meeting this friendship right before parting ways. Because it feels like a very intentional choice of, of introducing them this way. And I think it introduces Steve already at a point of desperation. Um, maybe a flashback then or something. Maybe that, that might have worked. Or um, maybe just more time together as equals in, on the war front. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I like Even before the Winter Soldier, I, I just loved... I loved his character so much, um, mm-hmm. and I like his death. I always felt, you know, I I don't I didn't need any more screen time. Like his death always affected me. I do like your idea of making um, Red Skull be the one to have killed him, and I think that would work because you know, for me personally, 
I I loved every bit we got of him. I I think we got enough to really establish that, you know, prior to Erskine and uh and uh Peggy Carter, like this was the only person who really took him seriously. And and one of the things that I I love about Sebastian Stan's performance is kind of what you hinted at with like he's got this very macho stoic kind of steady kind of character but you can you can almost see everything going on underneath and and uh i love having like just tender moments with them together with the other moments of just all of his sarcasm and everything like like with him talking having that last moment with steve and then you got the girls like hey are we going dancing and he's like of course or whatever like he goes back he, he turns right back into the the charming person but you can kind of see that that's not a facade. I think you know he he really does just enjoy being this kind of person, but but he plays it in a way in a way that he's not just him. You know he can just be that that good friend who's there to talk to, while still being this you know American hero kind of idyllic soldier. And I like that he allows Steve to maintain his dignity and self respect. Like I had him on the ropes. I know you did. Like he, like. He does. There's no mockery. Like he knows his friend's a shrimp, but he's not gonna. He's never gonna be the one to call it out and rub it in his face. He's gonna, you know, let him maintain his dignity and, and you know and do what he what he needs to do to be able to you know live. You know, we kind of touched on uh, on a problem with the the fact that there's really not a whole lot of of dramatic conflict between Steve and Red Skull. I kind of want to talk about Red Skull as a character as well. Just okay, like you said, he, Hugo Weaving. Every line reading from him is perfect, uh, and the fjord has them digging for trinkets in the desert. Like he's, he <laughs> makes the most out of out of every line and stuff. Um, but I would the aspect of his character that I wish they they pushed more was the idea that the serum has made him an accentuated person of the of of who he was, and in addition to him being the one to who killed Bucky, I I would like to have seen him kind of presenting himself as someone that Cap could be, you know, like kind of arguing like the same serum in me is the same serum in you. If if I'm Chris, if, if any anything you see in me, the potential for that is in you and maybe make Cap question whether he's he's fit, you know. And you can even kind of like set up the the Tony Everything argument special about exactly. Out of a box. That's exactly where I was going. Like you could set that argument up here to where he's like you know, you fooled yourself into thinking you're different than me when eventually you'll you'll see yourself as I see myself and and have and and challenge him to where like either quit or join me because what you're doing right now won't last. You you can't like you fool yourself into thinking you can be this upstanding, morally upright person because you've always been small. You know, you've never had that tested. Now that you will you're either going to be me or you're going to have to take yourself out. Just presenting that kind of challenge. And then you would go into the third act with Cap looking to prove him wrong, you know, avenging his death as well as showing like, no, I I can, you know, I, I can surround myself with the people who will ensure that I'm going to be the man I need to be while still being out there helping. And Maybe some kind of moral test, like uh, at the climax of the f- Raimi's first Spider-Man. Now choose Spider-Man. <laughs> That's exactly like, what I was thinking. Not that specific. But, but, I heard yeah. Willem Dafoe's voice as soon yeah, as he some said kind moral of, test. Like, something more specific to, to, uh, to Captain America, but like something along those lines. And maybe even if he, if he challenged him in that moment, the, re- the, the face reveal, 
maybe they could have found some way of, of thinking like there's only one of them is getting out of here. It's either it's either Bucky or him. And you're either going to have to choose to like rely on what you've become and be able, like you're or challenge him saying like you you can't you both can't get out of here. So either you are going to use the strength that you now have to save yourself or you're going to have to save him and now you're not going to be helpful anymore. And that would have been a chance to prove like I can still both be the the good man that I've been as well as you know being the the pers- the the soldier I need to be as well. What about like, a threat of taking away his newfound power? Like is he willing like if like they created a machine like we're going to take your power away unless you know we're going to kill your friend unless you are willing to sacrifice your power. Like it sounds super cheesy but like, again there's something like that to where he would be willing to go back to being that weakling and he he hasn't become like like Red Skull he hasn't become obsessed with being more than human. Some way to where the last showdown would have been a moment for Cap to to prove the difference that exists between the two. Yeah, and like I think Red Skull is one of the most boring MC villains, and none of that is the fault of Hugo Weaving. I think he's he's really going for it. He's you know, he's everything that character needs to be, but the writing for that character is just almost non-existent. And it's weird because they tease his problems. You know, they the this kind of god complex that he has, this superiority. Everything like there's there's little breadcrumbs there that you could do something with, but ultimately he ends up being fairly one dimensional. And I, I also think Johnson's direction doesn't really give him any presence. Like we cut to him so many times just being a normal dude that he does. There's no mystique or just you know as I said presence about him. He's just he's just a dude kind of thing. I think it's weird. the one of the things they do with him is something that they do with a lot of villains. It's it's one of the reasons why I love Raimi's films and just because of how much of a character Goblin and, and Doc Ock are. Because it's weird. Wonder Woman does the exact same thing that I dislike, where the villain's not a character. You know, we cut to Steve and he's a character. He's growing. He's he's doing something. Uh, we cut to Red Skull. He's he's being a, a villain. You know, he's he's turning on the machine to kill those people. He's uh, he's threatening. He's blowing up the whole facility. He's every time we see him, he's not being a character. He's just doing an act of evil, as if the movie's constantly needing to reinforce this idea that yes, this is the bad guy. And anytime we cut to him, he's how evil. how was he functioning for months after declaring war on Germany? Like, how does that work? <laughs> I don't know. I see. I think there had there needed to have been the idea that like he could have convinced them that there's there's nothing going on. You know what would have been fun if there was like a subplot where they had to work together with the Germans to bring down uh, Red Skull. Like that's that's far too nuanced an idea for this film, but it would have been a cool thing. But uh, ultimately, you know, I, I'm kind of with you in thinking he's definitely on the the more boring end. It's like I said, it's the same thing with Wonder Woman. Let's let's cut to John Huston's character shooting one of his own men just so you really know he's a bad guy. It's it's yeah. a it's a really boring way to present a villain. We fought to the last man. Apparently not. <laughs> oh, I didn't even realize we got that exact same scene of him shooting his own guy just to reinforce. Yeah, it's. And I I hate to keep bagging on this one because I do enjoy it a lot, but I think Joe Johnson is a very boring action director. Director. Um, the 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 1940s direction kind of continued into the action scenes, and they're all very. Kind of, they're just like shot, very wide shots that I, normally I like wide shots in action, but they're kind of wide shots that kind of reveal the lack of energy rather than 
you know, allowing us to just see cool things happen. I, I like I like the fighting style Cap has. Like whenever he's there punching dudes, it's cool. But just the way the action scenes are built, there's very little energy to them. I think I think his cinematography is kind of boring. I I, I love the um the, the the color grading and the 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 set design aesthetic, but I think just the way he shoots it is kind of dull. There's also this film, you know, in spite of being a period piece, there's also kind of weird high frame rate look to it. Did you notice that at all? It, where it's, it feels, it was shot on film, but it feels very digital and like smooth in a way that the previous three films, you know, four films didn't. It's uh, I kind of feel that, but in, I've, in a way, I kind of like it. It almost adds to the the heightened reality aspect of the of the period piece it kind of makes it feel more exaggerated in sci-fi despite being 40s and there's also a good bit he plays a lot with speed which is a little odd actually on like just there's like a lot of like slow-mo and a bit of speed ramping also i feel like there's a lot of like action scenes where he just kind of like they sped up the you know they crank the speed up a little bit to just make it look faster and it looks a little janky here and there um, i love the slow-mo i don't like the speed up effect the slow-mo is is perfect to me it's just like this like let's just dwell on this awesome image of him jumping off a tank <laughs> um but the speed it, it feels to me it, it's like a tool that a, a not great action director has at his disposal to try to like fix something he couldn't achieve which is like speed and energy in action yeah, so if, like these are action films, and being um, uh, you know, people who aren't interested in action might not bother me a lot. But for me, as a huge action buff who just likes luxuriating and cool action scenes, it was kind of a disappointment to find all the action kind of dull. And like even like even like the fist fight in the final fist fight in the plane, like there's a really cool like anti gravity effect, like when the plane goes down and they're kind of like floating on the ceiling, which is I'm I'm still kind of in awe of whatever effect that was because it looks really seamless and yet it's shot in such a boring way. It doesn't actually do anything. Like it could have been so cool and awesome. So I, I do agree I find the action for the most part really lackluster. I do really, really like the chase scene, uh where he chases down Thor. Or uh, Thorin. The way he portrays Steve like learning his strength is oh, yeah, is yeah, really yeah. cool like where he's turning the corner and he he can't adjust for his new strength and speed and he like flies into the window yeah i did i did like that a lot and like it's also just the way he carries himself and runs i think it's partially like the super tight pants and shirt but like it, he does feel like someone who just doesn't know how to use quite use his body yet. there's kind of a gangliness about it yeah and running running across the cars that's the one scene where like it it feels exciting and, and energetic and stuff and ripping the car door off and everything like it's that's a really cool scene yeah that, the, the shield motif and also <laughs> i just love where he grabs the kid and uh, he, he actually he steps out like shoot me don't shoot the kid but then he's out of blows he throws him off like you know i can swim go get him <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> just even little timmy's doing his part <laughs> oh and uh i'm kind of you, you you didn't even mention uh, david bradley when you're talking about the cameos filch himself oh i'm sorry my bad. Yeah, <laughs> every time you know, because and he plays a good guy, which is so weird. <laughs> I know it, it's well. I you know, I, I've all, I had only seen the first two Harry Potters a few times before um, watching this, and so I've kind of known him more as oh, that's the that's the guy from the beginning of Captain America. <laughs> uh, but I always forget it's Filch. Uh, the final thing I do want to talk about, you know, is even though I, I find the climax very dull, the last five minutes are amazing. 
even though there's absolutely no reason that he has to crash like the film, just land it on the ice, you idiot. Or, you know, fly over to Greenland and like, there's a lot of empty space over there. Like, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Like, I gotta force it down. Like, whatever. But also, how the hell, if they're in the Alps, how does he get into the polar ice caps? Don't if he just has to fly to New York. Stop thinking about it. Don't, <laughs> don't think about it. Okay. But like all that goofiness aside, it's so well done. And they have that callback to the scene after um like after he you know he's blaming himself for Bucky's death and um Peggy comes to him and says, you know, did you believe in your friend? Then stop blaming yourself. Allow Barnes the dignity of his choice. And then in this scene where she's telling me, oh, you know, you have to land. You have to do this because because then he says, you know, this is my choice. Like calling back to that scene, you know, this is my choice. I am okay with with you know surrendering my life to save others. Which is just, this is it's, it's perfect, Captain America. And like they just move on from that. Like you know, I'm gonna have to give you a rain check on that dance. Oh. Next Tuesday, don't you be late. Uh, it's, it's so perfectly when performed. the tears start coming for her and they're just like falling off of her cheek. It's and I just love they're both playing along and they just it's you know plays out just cutting between two close ups of each other. And both actors are so good at just, you know trying to be happy despite their worlds ending around them. And it's after it happens, the, the thing that really gets me every single time is after. The sound goes dead, and she like she calls out like Steve like two or three times every time. Like just you can tell in her voice that she knows exactly what's happening. She knows he's dead, but there's like that sad kind of desperation in her voice every time. You know mm. she's just saying Steve, and it just it's so heartbreaking. Of the whole montage after that, you know, where we cut to um to uh, Howard Stark looking for me. He's just just keep looking. Maybe that, maybe that's why he turned all cold and cynical on his son later on. But uh, and then uh, when I love when Peggy like when um uh Phillips uh, Tommy Lee Jones hands her Steve's file and she looks at a picture mm. of like old skinny Steve like that that's the guy she fell in love with. Even goosebumps just thinking about it. But then they cut after that like it, it it shows old skinny Steve and then it cuts to the kid playing with the trash can mm. in the streets like, like leading the troops. It's like this this is why Captain America is important you know inspiring the next generation. It's it, like. For all my problems, I think there are many fundamental structural problems. I have a lot of problems with the direction, the action. In spite of all that, I deeply respect this film because it got the most important and the most difficult thing right. It just perfectly captured everything this character stands for. And just you want to be you want to be like this guy. And that's what this movie's about. Yeah. And then I love I love ending in modern times. It's the last line just ending with i had a date the fact yeah. you know, they talk about how it, it's so you, you see that criticism marvel like they always end so happy and everything's upright and yeah a lot of the time yeah we we end in celebration with our heroes and stuff but i think there's a you know there's moments one we got guardians volume two it, it ends in a victory but spoiler alert it also ends in a death yeah, but it uh, happens <laughs> oh man r.i.p but but here it's just it's such a a sad like i don't know it's not even bittersweet like there's nothing there's no promise for happiness from it you know like we know he's gonna have his mission but there's no promise of returning to what he knows and what he loves it's just i had a date and he missed it yeah it's 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 the eternal tragedy of captain america as a character he's the man out of time 
he lost his chance to live life he wanted you he's going to keep serving he's going to keep going but there's always that yeah and i just i really appreciated the bold decision of ending it that way of it's ending real it real downer yeah of, of you are in the new world everything you knew is gone everyone you knew is likely gone and and it, it's passed you by and he acknowledges it with a line and we cut to credits Oh, and the credits are amazing. It's the propaganda art oh, you know, kind so of animated. Cool. It's beautiful. Um, then you have the end credit scene, which uh, is like a chopped down version of the gym scene from uh, Avengers. And then it, this one actually is the only one to do this, but it has a teaser for the Avengers. And it was funny. There is a shot from Iron Man in that teaser. Like they were so early into shooting that it didn't have any, any effects of uh Iron Man flying. So there's a real quick shot of Iron Man over Golmira in the desert inside that teaser. <laughs> I've never noticed. All right, so I, I think we've you know pretty well covered this film. Let's moving into the score real quick. You know, you talked about you really liked it. I I, I respect the score a lot. I think Captain America's theme is is very iconic. I, like I, I texted you this. I I, I texted you while listening to it. Like I just want to stand up and salute and like have the thing. You know, I'm proud to be an American. Play in the back. Like it, it's everything about America. Um. Like and, and the, the the score is so traditional. Like I I feel like if you had told me like this was a John Williams score for a Spielberg movie in the eighties, I would have believed. Like it makes sense. But I think the, the downfall of that is it's a really boring soundtrack to listen to outside the movie because it does exactly what you expect at every point. Because like that, that's very appropriate within the film. It works perfectly within the film, but outside the film, it is just the most generic copy and paste you know, war film score from the, you know, the seventies or eighties that you could possibly imagine. So like, it's beautiful for it. It is. And it's perfect in the film, which is the most important thing. But I, I, I was very bored while listening to it. Unfortunately, uh, the one thing I did notice was, it was pretty cool. was the, uh, the Hydra theme or the theme for red skull. It's like this soft piano that's played really fast. It almost sounds like a music box, which is, it's a very odd theme for a villain, but it, it does have like a bit of sinisterness to it. This like is kind of in the running for my favorite MCU score. <laughs> I I love what the main theme. It's it's like by being just this exaggerated version of these other themes, it ends up like kind of being the quintessential one for me where it's like you play in Endgame when Tony spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen it. When Tony hands Steve back the shield and you hear that so like the hair stand up on my arm i get goosebumps i've experienced so many emotions and it's because like the purity the the black and white good versus evil this is what's wrong this is what's right everything perfect about steve's character is like contained in this good old-fashioned kind of sound and now i i kind of i still even enjoy it outside of the the film it's because it is it's kind of it's like taking you through the motions of 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 action movies and stuff and in a way that I, I really enjoy. And it's, it also stands unique among uh, the MCU, especially after, you know, over 20 films and we've still, we've got a, you know, as they go along, some of them just start sounding like variations of others. And they're all very much conventional, modern blockbuster sounds. And for, for this movie to not only completely like stand firm on a, uh, a visual aesthetic, um, this old school visual aesthetic, but also to just come take it even one step further. And it's like, we're sounding like, like 
a more uplifting and fun band of brothers that is this score and i don't know i really mm-hmm. love it i wish it was a type of thing that could be used like have some variety to it. like the thor theme i think the thor theme can be used in any tone imaginable this like it, it can only be played in that very proper like high-pitched brass mm. sound and i'll stand up and salute every time <laughs> yeah but I, I think the, the, the best track from this of course is the star spangled man with a plan it's absolutely perfect so finally um what do you rate this film out of five stars and how do you rank the uh, five films of the MCU so far? So I think on our previous episode on Thor, I had mentioned that there's like just this block of like four or five movies that are just so close. That is, I mean, every time my answer may vary. This is one of them. Uh, I give this four out of five stars. I know it has its problems. I think it kind of loses it, but my love for the character and for the visual aesthetic and everything ends up making up for like, and I, I don't even think it's the entire third act. I think it's, it's a little bit into the third act where it starts to to lose momentum and purpose. But even then, I just, I love watching it. Um, so Iron Man is still my favorite. Then I, I actually go Captain America. Then I go Thor number three. Then Iron Man two, number four. And then Incredible Hulk last. Okay. Um, so for me, I actually give it three and a half out of five stars. Like, as I said, I, I really enjoy this film. I, I respect it a tremendous amount. But again, I... I I do lose interest quite a bit in the third act. You know, it, it comes around and it sticks the landing and you know, it gets the character, my favorite character, the MCU perfectly right. It sets the tone. All of that is tremendous, but I think he does have a lot of flaws as a film. So I'll give it three and a half stars for my ranking. Uh, I think it's going to be Iron Man, Thor, the incredible Hulk, oh. the first Avenger, then uh, Iron Man 2 on the bottom the so far. Incredible Hulk better than Captain The Incredible America. Hulk is a heck of a lot of fun and you will not say anything against it. <laughs> I won't say anything against it other than Captain America is better. Uh, I think The Incredible Hulk is a much more consistent film. Mm. It doesn't. There are higher highs in, in the first Avenger. I will give it that. But I am having fun for much more of the, of the runtime in The Incredible Hulk. Um so going to the initial reception, uh, as far as the box office, this film uh, earned $176 million domestically and $193 million in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of only $370 million. It is by far the lowest grossing Captain America film, and it's also the second lowest grossing MCU film, about, only above The Incredible Hulk. I feel like the very tepid reaction to Thor probably hurt this a lot. And as far as the critically, I think it, it, it did okay critically. Uh, it holds an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 66 on uh, it holds an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 66 on Metacritic. Um, a lot of the praise is for Chris Evans and the, the very wholesome, old timey feel to it all. Um, this was actually the first. This was the first MCU film where I really was actually paying attention to what critics were saying and you know the audience reception. You know, getting involved in the online film community. So I do remember a bit about you know, kind of the 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 the, uh, the climate when this came out i remember like a lot one one thing that really stuck out to me was a person like it's better than thor but that's not saying a lot that was that's the kind of the attitude around this film um like it was light well enough but i don't think it had a lot of impact at the time yeah it's i remember the i think i i brought up this exact quote for our thor episode where when both came out there was just reviewers said neither approach like the greatness of iron man but both are far better than they have any right to be you know, like it, this is definitely before the MCU was what it was. So I, I think critics kind of felt that they could be more dismissive of it. You know, it's, oh, it was fine enough. Who cares? I think, honestly, if these movies were released, like if this movie was released as a prequel, well, I don't think we would be. 
maybe as in love with Steve Rogers as we are now if we didn't start out with this. But if I these didn't were start released, out with this, and I am. <laughs> yeah, that's true enough. The character is just amazing. But if if this was to get released now, after the MCU is what it is, I think both this and Thor one would have done better, just because there's a level of in, intentional engagement with the series and and a, just a way of taking it more seriously than they did back then. And I think. I think both. Well, maybe not Thor, as we talked about. Thor kind of gets forgotten, but I think. Uh, but but both, and also both films are like total rebukes of the 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 criticism that all all MCU films feel the same. Like both of these are totally unique movies that yeah. have their own style and tone that has never been like even attempted to be replicated in the MCU. So you know, just thinking about what its its modern legacy is now, uh, I think history has been kinder to it than. Um, the other phase one films that aren't oh, Iron much Man kind of. or, or the Avengers, you know, loads of people just outright hate the Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2 gets close to hate from a lot of people and Thor is just entire ambivalence. But I, you know, there's still a lot of people who are fairly dismissive of this film, but there's a, also a lot of people who have it as their favorite or at least in their top five. There has been an enormous groundswell of support for this movie like in the yeah. last five years. Like, a lot of people love this movie. And I think that's just because, you know, after one after his freaking incredible conclusion and endgame and, and just all the amount of movies we have where you are able to see genuine similarities between a lot of these. And then you go back just like, wow, they really did dive headfirst into a period piece and they embraced it. And and it's, sta- it's, it's more obvious in its uniqueness, I would say, than Thor is, despite both being completely unique. Uh, so I think, you know, it's... A lot of people still kind of have it very middle of the road, but there's there's a genuine love for this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's, I feel like over the last five years, but but a lot of people is like this is so underrated, it's so good. Like why why didn't we love this at the time? It's like a, it, it there has been a very marked shift in the narrative around this film that just yeah, I say you know did, did, hasn't happened. It's it's gonna happen for Thor. I'm holding out hope, but hasn't happened yet. So, all right, that that was our review of Captain America, the first Avenger. I hope you enjoyed it, guys. And if you did, uh, again, I'd like to ask you to please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. It would be very helpful and very much appreciated. Uh, if you want to f- like us on Facebook, we are there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, we are there as at Franchised Pod. And if you want to find our other episodes, you can go to FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And where can people follow you, James? Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd. I am there as J.L. Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. Uh, you can also find me and yourself as well over at The Outer Rim, a Star Wars group on Facebook. Uh, we are in the middle of a Star Wars marathon leading into the Rise of Skywalker. And we also just talk a lot about you know books and comics and games and things like that. There's a lot between November and December. We're going to have a lot of new Star Wars content. So if you're excited about all of it, join us over there. Uh, and I'm also on Letterboxd. And there's Gabriel Green. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter as at, as at Gabe A. Green. And I'm on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green. Um, so next week, uh, we're going to be talking about the Avengers. And I, do, I have no idea how we're going to fit all, all the things that are to discuss about that movie into one episode. <laughs> it's going to be long. It's, it's gonna be awesome. I, I love this movie so much. Yeah. If if we're if, if modern audiences were ever just sitting around wondering if the MCU was ever gonna be able to match Iron Man one again, this this movie comes out and oof, I'm excited. Yeah, it's it's one of the like one of those films that truly changed cinema. So Oh boy. 
So, until next week, we will see you in the groundbreaking sequel. Whatever happens tomorrow, you must promise me one thing, that you will say who you are. Not a perfect soldier, but a good man.